0: Welcome to BlitzCast, an NFL Draft podcast brought to you by NFLDraftBlitz.com. And now, your hosts, Alex Kavtov and Ed Hunt.
1: Welcome to another episode of BlitzCast. Ed and Alex are talking about the NFL Draft. We're less than a month away from the draft being at Cleveland, and we're going to have fans We're going to have players that are going to be in attendance, and they're going to shake the commissioner's hand, so it's going to be kind of a throwback from where it was last year. Well, at the top of the show, let's talk about the 49ers, because everybody's talking about San Francisco. It doesn't matter what show you listen to, ESPN, NFL Network, you're listening to radio in your car, everybody's talking about the 49ers and what they did. And what did the 49ers do? They traded their 12th overall pick and a third-round pick in 2021, as well as first-round picks in 2022 and 2023 in order to move up to number 3. And the Dolphins were, you know, they wanted to do that deal. They they wanted to keep stockpiling these picks. There's one thing we know for sure. The 49ers made the trade to number 3. So they can get a certain quarterback. The only thing is nobody really knows at this point who that quarterback is going to be. The Jaguars and Urban Meyer basically announced already that they are going to pick Trevor Lawrence at number one. I'm convinced that the Jets are already sold on Zach Wilson from BYU and he's going to be their number two overall pick but this trade happened while zach wilson's pro day was going on or while he was warming up for it so that's why people started releasing different theories out there so ed i'm gonna bring you in i want to find out from you obviously they're my san francisco 49ers i want to find out which way they're leaning what do you think which quarterback will they go with at number three. I'm
0: like 80% sure it's Justin Fields. Here's what my uh, my tip off is. I think it was Instagram or Twitter or something. Some sort of social media. Justin Fields posted something and then the 49ers commented and they put two little pens with notes, like taking notes. And that tells me they are not afraid to tell the public that they are interested in Justin Fields. Why aren't the 49ers
1: releasing who they're going to draft? I mean, why is this such a big secret? Because to me, Lawrence and Wilson is a done deal. The Niners are three. I don't think any team is going to jump up to two and trade with the New York Jets. It's not happening. The Jets are sold on Wilson. They're going to get rid of Darnold. So in my opinion, why are the 49ers being so coy? What's going on? That's the one thing that... I can't understand.
0: Well, I mean there is a there is a maybe a 1 or 2% chance. Basically, the Jaguars don't go with Trevor Lawrence and then the Jets don't go with Zach Wilson. If that doesn't happen, then they've pretty much got caught with their pants down. They've already announced that they're going to draft uh Justin Fields and so that's a that's a big problem. So, I mean, if I'm if I'm the 49ers, I wouldn't do that. So, you're not buying this talk about Mac Jones
1: going number 3 because there's certain people in the media that are driving that story and they're talking about it like Mac Jones is the perfect fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense. So you're not buying that.
0: I actually think that uh, teams will change their offense when they get the quarterback they like.
1: There's one thing I do know. Like, if I wanted to be a quarterback in this draft, and I'm looking at all five guys, it doesn't matter, Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, Jones... I would want to go number three because I know Kyle Shanahan is going to make me into a good quarterback. I'm not saying a star. he will make me look good because Kyle Shanahan's track record with quarterbacks, it's been pretty good. I'm actually glad that Ed mentioned Justin Fields at number three because back in the day, 2012, when Mike Shanahan, Kyle's dad, he was the head coach of the Washington Redskins, They went all in on Robert Griffin III. RG3 was the guy that they traded up to at number two and drafted him. He started as a rookie. They shifted their offense. They kind of made it more, uh, more of an option read type of offense. I mean, Robert Griffin was able to use his feet and they experimented really well. RG3 won Offensive Rookie of the Year. He led the Redskins to the playoffs, so they had success. Obviously, we, we all know how that ended. The ACL injury, and then Robert Griffin never, re- uh, never was able to recover from that. Then there's a the story of Kirk Cousins, who was a backup with the Redskins, but he became a solid quarterback for Washington after Kyle Shanahan left. So that narrative kind of doesn't stick. Then Shanahan went to the Browns. He made Brian Hoyer shine for for like a half a season. He had Johnny Manziel. Wasn't his guy, but they weren't able to make it work. Then he went to Atlanta. Matt Ryan was already an established starter there. And um, the first season, actually, Matt Ryan struggled in Kyle Shanahan's offense. But the next year, in 2016, Matt Ryan won the MVP award. And they went to the Super Bowl where they lost to the Patriots. Then Kyle went to the 49ers, and we all know that story. Jimmy G becomes the quarterback. They make it to the Super Bowl. They lose to the Super Bowl to the Chiefs. So Kyle Shanahan has had a very good track record with quarterbacks, and we've seen him do it with different types of quarterbacks. My feeling is this. You have Jimmy G, who is a pocket quarterback, Mac Jones is also a pocket quarterback. Are you getting an upgrade with Mac Jones at number three? You're basically getting the same quarterback. The only difference is Jimmy G can't stay healthy and Mac Jones is younger, healthier type of guy. Wouldn't the 49ers want a dual threat quarterback? Wouldn't they want somebody like Trey Lance or Justin Fields? Kind of like an upgrade in that offense. This is where we are in the NFL today. If you don't have a dual threat quarterback... You're behind the eight ball, as they say. So I'm actually glad you mentioned Justin Fields. I'm, I'm glad you're going against the grain because I, I hear a lot of analysts that are sold on a Mac Jones to the 49ers at three.
0: Yeah, I, I just think that Justin Fields is that new-age quarterback, and we've seen how Lamar Jackson succeeded in the NFL. We've seen how Kyler Murray succeeded in the NFL. We've seen how Cam Newton—I mean, I think I think if there's any comparison— for I, you know me, I'm not a big comparison draft analyst, but if there is a comparison, I would really say, like, Justin Fields fits that Cam Newton kind of role. If the 49ers don't take Justin Fields, he would be a perfect fit in Carolina. I'm sure Carolina would
1: be ecstatic to get somebody like Justin Fields at 8. And if he gets past the 49ers at 3, they're going to try to do everything in their power to move up to 4 or 5 and and get that guy. I'm not sure the Falcons are going to do that deal because they play in the same division. But the the Panthers will definitely try to to do everything in their power to to bring Justin Fields there. Like I have no idea what the Niners are going to do. But all indications point to this. Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have stated that we're in no hurry to trade Jimmy G. That This is going to be like an Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes type of situation, what we had with the Kansas City Chiefs. I think Jimmy G is is going to groom whichever quarterback it's going to be. And it makes sense. Like if it's Mac Jones or Trey Lance, they only had one year of starting experience. Justin Fields also, just a two-year starter. So it makes sense for them to keep Jimmy G and to, to bring the guy, you know, the rookie quarterback, slowly have him learn the system. So I think it's a smart way of doing that. We've seen some teams being successful with that. But I have no clue. I can make a case for all three quarterbacks. Like, I agree with those analysts that say Mac Jones is the best fit for that offense. I do. He's accurate. He's accurate. He's got really good ball placement. He's got pocket awareness. He can slide, step within the pocket. He throws it with anticipation. But I could also make a case for a guy like Trey Lance. Trey Lance is kind of an upgrade. He's got the upside. He's got the ability to throw on the run. He's got a stronger arm. He played in an offense where he took balls from from under center. And he was really successful with those play-action passes. And this is what... Kyle Shanahan's offense is all about. It's about play action. It's about bootlegs. It's about throwing on the run. So I can make a case for Trey Lance as well. Justin Fields is just an exciting athlete. Like, he's not there yet, but I'm sure the 49ers believe that they can. he can master this offense, but he gives him that extra ability, you know, to, to do some things with his feet. That makes it exciting, I'm sure, for somebody like kyle shanahan because the robert griffin the third story it doesn't have a pretty ending it only lasted for one year and i'm sure shanahan is thinking to himself hey i made it i made it work once i can do this again you know like nine years later you could make a case for all three of these guys there's one thing that really bothers me though with the theory that it's going to be justin fields hear me out we didn't have a combine this year so teams weren't able to meet these prospects in Indy. They weren't able to sit down with them, have those interviews. And they're not going to have the individual workouts as well this year. It's a little bit different. So the only chance that you have to meet the quarterback, your future quarterback, is during a pro day. And the 49ers, the main decision maker. They were at Alabama's pro day. They were watching the second pro day by Mac Jones instead of watching Justin Fields. I'm not saying the Niners weren't there. They sent the assistants there and they were checking him out. But I'm just curious, why was Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch at Mac Jones's pro day instead of being there at Justin Fields' pro day?
0: Well, Alex, I, I think these teams know how to fake each other out. I mean, that's really. I think the decision was made you know, a few weeks ago that they like Justin Fields and I think they did their homework on him. I mean, a lot of these teams are pretty, I mean, their boards are pretty set by now, you know, like these teams know who they want, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, they're going to make some adjustments and stuff like that, but I mean, they've scouted these players, they've seen the tape, they've, you know, they've interviewed these guys, they know who they want to go with. I think at this point, I think they're just trying to fake each other out. There's two things I want to point out that I think. One, you you pointed it out, is the 49ers not taking their main decision makers to uh, Ohio State instead of taking them to Alabama. I'm sure there's plenty of Alabama players they want to see and they don't want to tip their hand that they're going for Justin Fields. Two, they want to to create some confusion, some question. This is good for us, you know, as bloggers and so forth. The other thing is, too, is like, you know, I think the Patriots will love Mac Jones. I really think that's where he's going to end up. And to be honest with you, when Bill Belichick is shaking his head and, you know, whatever Mac Jones overthrows, that that is a smokescreen. They want this guy. They th- This is the most perfect, I mean, guy's very intelligent. I mean, Patriots love intelligent players. I mean, he has all the package. He I mean, he, has, he was the most productive quarterback. I mean, if you had to give the Heisman to a quarterback, it would be Mac Jones. To be honest with you, I'm not saying he's the number one dr- prospect in this draft, but for where the Patriots are picking, where it's all going to happen, I think Mac Jones and the Patriots are like a perfect fit. Yeah, it's too good to be true, Ed. I just think it's not going to happen.
1: That that's the reason. That's like it seems like a perfect match. That's why it's not going to happen because it looks like there might be top four quarterbacks go one, two, three, and four because the Falcons are also rumored to possibly be in that sweepstakes and possibly go for North Dakota State quarterback and Trey Lance and kind of groom him for the future, let him sit for a year or two while Matt Ryan is there. So that means what? The Panthers need a quarterback. I'm not sure, like, they're ecstatic to get Mac Jones, but he certainly, at this point, might be an upgrade over Teddy Bridgewater. I don't think... Mac Jones is going to be available at 15. It sounds too good to be true. And uh, when it's too good to be true, it's not going to happen. You know, it's just, it's not. We all kind of fantasize and like, uh, it's a perfect fit. It is. I think Mac Jones is going to go sooner than, than later. And who knows? He could still go number three. And then, you know, just the dominoes are going to fall after that. So it's interesting. But there's another tidbit From what I understand and what I read, Justin Fields actually attended some camps that were ran by Kyle Shanahan. So they know each other back to high school days. Shanahan knows who Justin Fields is. He has interacted with him because uh, they've been at these camps together. There's a little bit of a connection there. You can connect the dots a little bit. They're not strangers by no means. Kyle Shanahan knows this guy, and it goes back to uh, his high school days when he was, you know, a number one, number two recruit. We know Lawrence is going to go number one. Urban Meyer has stated this. All this nonsense about usually teams keeping quiet who they're going to draft at number one, Urban Meyer is not hiding who he's he's picking. But then, you know, the mystery remains. Who do the Jets like a two? Because they're going to go quarterback. Most people, including myself, assume that it's Zach Wilson. And then at three, obviously, the it's up for the debate. And I'm sure we're going to talk about this every single week because new stories are going to
0: emerge. I just want to point out how things change. And I think this is a great example, and I want to point it out on the podcast. Justin Fields, when he was recruited, he went to Georgia. And Justin Fields said, you know, he, I'm the best guy. And you know who you know who the quarterback who was too good to basically be a number one recruit and go to that college who was a starter was it was Jake Fromm and now looking at things as they sit right now who is Jake Fromm and who is Justin Fields right now and that's how things change in football and I just wanted to point that out.
1: But it's interesting though we we realize that Justin Fields is more talented than Jake Fromm and that that's certainly the case. I'm not I'm not denying that by it's by far. But Justin Fields couldn't win that job from Jake Fromm. Like the Georgia coaches had trust in Jake Fromm to run that system, even though they knew that he was limited and that he wasn't as talented as Justin Fields. I realized that he played as a true freshman. Justin Fields got snaps in almost every game. Georgia didn't want to lose him. But in the end, Justin Fields bailed. So what does that say about him? Let's speculate. He didn't want to compete with Jake Fromm. I always say, like, the best guy wins, you know, from mentally or physically. Show your coaches that you can compete and you can unseat the starter. It happens all the time. I mean, Lawrence came in there, right? He unseated Kelly Bryant, who started the first couple of games, but then Lawrence took over. It's competition. I don't like that with Fields. I mean, a lot of guys transfer Nowadays, I mean, a a lot of guys transfer. Joe Burrow, and look at him. He's the number one overall pick. Kyler Murray, he's the number one overall pick. He didn't compete against Jake Fromm. If you're the best guy, if you're the number one recruit, prove it. You went to the school that you wanted to go to because you're a local guy, local kid. I didn't like that too much. So he transferred to Ohio State knowing that with time... He was gonna be the starter. They basically guaranteed it to him. I'm, I'm sure, uh, if if he came in and, and did his thing. But he didn't want to compete in Georgia against Jake Fromm. It's a bit of a red flag to me.
0: I, I mean, I I think that's that shows that basically Justin Fields is confident in himself. Jake Fromm was a soft was a true sophomore then, so it wasn't like he was just gonna sit one year. And then the next year he would start. Jake Fromm had basically two more years of college football. He was going to play his true sophomore year and his true junior year. And then Justin Fields would have, it would have been Justin Fields starting. I mean, Justin Fields would have easily won the job after that. But that would have been two years of sitting. And Justin Fields already came out in three years in his career. I'm saying win
1: the job in the spring. Show the coaches that you're the better quarterback. That's what I'm saying. Why couldn't he beat out Jake Because he Frum? was a true freshman. No, I'm saying the following year, Ed. He was a true freshman, so coming in, he would have been a sophomore, and Fromm would have been a junior. Prove it. You're the number one recruit, damn it. You're much more talented than Jake Fromm. But when you can take over the Ohio State Buckeyes, wouldn't you do that? I picked the college that I went to. I went to Georgia. There's a reason I picked that school. I wanted to play in the SEC. I wanted to play against Alabama. I wanted to win a national championship. That's what I went there for, right? I picked Georgia initially. I knew Jake Fromm was there. I was watching him, right, when Jake Fromm claimed that job as a freshman. When I came in, he was the entrenched starter. To me, I put that in the minus category because you have to be able to compete. You have to be able to show if he's so confident, compete at Georgia. Why transfer to Ohio State? Why run away? I mean, obviously the coaches at Georgia trusted Jake Fromm more to run that system. That's also something that I'm getting out of this whole picture. Now, obviously, Justin Fields didn't believe that he was going to get a fair shake. He was more talented, but from the neck up, Jake Fromm was smarter. I would assume that. I'm I'm just saying that. And some things on the football field kind of lead me in, into that direction as well when, when it comes to Justin Fields. But we'll talk about quarterbacks next okay. week. We'll break down all the quarterbacks next week. Ed will reveal his top 10, and we're going to talk about Fields and Lance and Mac Jones Kyle Trask, Lawrence, and Zach Wilson will reveal who we have at number one because it might be different guys. I'm just uh, letting people know out there that Ed and I are going to have different number one guys. Just a little tease. All right, the 49ers obviously are at number three. The Dolphins traded back. They were at number 12, but right away, they made the trade with the Eagles. The Eagles traded back to 12, and the Dolphins traded up to get to six. Miami Dolphins are sticking with Tua. He's their guy. They drafted him last year with the fifth overall pick. I'm sure right now the coaching staff and the front office are regretting it that they didn't choose Justin Herbert, but that's another story for another show. What are they going to do at six? Are they going to find playmakers for Tua,
0: and who is your guy at six for the Dolphins? I think it's going to be Micah Parsons. I actually think they're going to make an addition um, on the defensive side of the ball. Interesting.
1: So you, you believe that they're going to try to get their guy. They're going to try to get their playmaker. They got rid of Kyle Van Noy. But you know what? I always say this. The Patriots never draft linebackers that high. And the reason why I say Patriots is because Brian Flores is from the Patriot tree. So you don't believe that if Kyle Pitts is at six, he's my pick, Ed. Like I'm... If I'm Flores, I'm running to that podium and I'm just submitting that name. I, to don't, I don't, I don't,
0: I don't want to, to throw Kyle community. Pitts out of the Falcons conversation because I do think he's in the conversation for the Falcons.
1: He is, but he he slides and gets past the Falcons, and I think he'll get past the Bengals because the Bengals need to to get that offensive line help. Six to the Dolphins, I think that that would just be a dream come true. And I I realize they have Gasicki there. But if he can have two tight ends, many teams do two tight end sets, and they, they love that. And it would be huge help to Tua, especially in the red zone. Especially in the red zone because, I mean, Kyle Pitts is just huge. What do you think the Eagles do at 12? Obviously, the Eagles are committing to themselves to Jalen Hurts for a year, at least a year, and we'll find out if, if Jalen Hurts can succeed. He is going to be their quarterback moving forward after they traded Carson Wentz to the Colts. What do you think the Eagles do at 12? I mean, which position do you think they will uh, try to address? I think they
0: have to address cornerback. And the two names that come up for me are Caleb Farley and J.C. Horn. I could see it being either guy. You know, with the pro day that J.C. Horn had, I really could see this being the pick for the Eagles.
1: All right. I, I could see that. I mean, the Eagles do need help at corner, but they also need a wide receiver. And if they can get one of those guys, like one of those playmakers, maybe like a Jalen Waddle. I'm not saying that Jamar Chase will be there, but maybe Devontae Smith. Well, we'll see. Like I said, I realized that the Eagles drafted a wide receiver in 2020 NFL draft, but they, they still need help there. And if they want Jalen Hurts to succeed, like we want Tua to succeed with the Miami Dolphins, they need to address the wide receiver position, whether it's at 12 or on day two. It was a quiet Friday, and then those trades happened. We were kind of sleepy, walking through the the Friday afternoon, staying tuned for that Zach Wilson pro day, and all of a sudden, bam, 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 all these trades, and teams are just not being shy about it. I hope the Niners get the, the quarterback that they're looking for. Let's talk about pro days, Ed. And the two major pro days that I wanted to talk about were LSU and Florida we got to start with my boy. And the reason why I say my boy is because I've criticized him on this show plenty of times. And the criticism will continue in the upcoming weeks. But i got to give him credit. Jamar Chase opted out of the 2020 season. He obviously was doing some training. He was working. And he came out blazing during LSU's Pro Day. Let's
0: talk about it. Yeah, he ran a 4.3840. I mean, that... He also had an 11-foot broad jump and a 41-inch vertical leap. And he measured over 6 feet, right?
1: And that should be your question, Alex. I mean, he's over 6 feet. He ran a 4.38. Like, he's a lot more athletic than we thought he was. Are you moving him up in your wide receiver rankings? And my answer is no. I mean, I, I give him credit. He is a lot more athletic than I thought. He obviously ran a fast 40 time. I don't see that speed... On the football field, I don't see it translating. I don't see the separation. So, excuse me for being a non-believer, but what I don't see that four three eight speed on film.
0: I'm just going to leave it at that. Again, Let me ask you this though. I mean, if you if you take a guy like Jamar Chase, right? I mean, he's been successful in college football. I mean, he was successful or, for one yeah, year. Yeah, but I'm saying I'm saying for a relatively young guy. You know, not a lot of tread on him. Um, you know, especially being a wide receiver and, you know, only playing really two years at LSU, which he exiled. A guy, what I think about him is he's kind of stiff. You know, you, you get him a stretcher, you get him a guy, you know, the stretching <laughs> trainer, you know, really focuses on him, really gets him flexible, and then your wide receiver coach really works on his route running. I mean, could this guy be a number, I, I think this guy could be a number one if you get those two things in order.
1: He's got to become a much better route runner, and you're just hoping he will with, NFL coaching, once he gets in there, yeah, he, he's got to be quicker coming out in and out of his breaks, or he's going to become just a possession receiver. I mean, that that's the truth. I, I know people are looking at the four three eight speed. They think, oh, he could be a deep threat. My God, I mean, he wasn't getting that separation in college. He's not going to get that separation in the NFL. I mean, some guys just... I praise Jamar Chase. He did what he had to do. He silenced guys like us, and Myself included, I guess I'm on an island. Everybody thinks Jamar Chase is the number one wide receiver in this draft. He's a top ten pick, and the pro day just confirmed it. Basically, no, I, th- so, I,
0: I don't. I don't think you're on an island. I mean, I would say I see the problems that you see in his route running. I mean, you're not the only one who see problems in his route running. But teams are gonna like him. He just turned 21.
1: He's a young guy, like you mentioned. Not a lot of tread on his tires. And you can teach him. Hey, Devontae Adams wasn't a good route runner coming out of college. Look what he has turned into. So it's not out of the question that Jamar Chase does the same thing. He really did well during his pro day. He earned himself some money. He silenced some of those critics. And it looks like he's going to be a top 10 pick. I just think he's going to be more of a a Sammy Watkins type of player. That's the ceiling that I see for Jamar Chase. He's not going to be like an OBJ. His numbers suggest that he could be OBJ because the speed is there. You know, he did really well on those explosive tests. I stick to this. I'm going to say Sammy Watkins is his ceiling. I know I'm being harsh. Speaking the truth out there. How about Kyle Pitts? You and I love Kyle Pitts. We think he's a weapon. A lot of people believe that he's a weapon. He blew up Gators Pro
0: Day. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Antoine Simmons about him, the Michigan State linebacker, and he was saying the same thing. He's like, I don't even. We were talking about Pratt Fryermuth, and I said Pat Fryermuth is probably the second best tight end in this class, and he said, Yeah, and the first one I don't even consider a tight end. I consider him a wide receiver. is Kyle Pitts. The numbers are preposterous. All right, the
1: guy is six six, almost six six, two hundred and forty five pounds. His hand size. 10 and 5 8 inches. His arm length is 33 and a half. His wingspan is 83 and 3 eights. That's bigger than Calvin Johnson. That's bigger than most of the offensive linemen in this draft. I mean, that's just that's humongous out there. And that's I always talked about Kyle Pitts having this large catching radius, and he really does. Bench press 22 reps. Vertical 33 and a half. Broad jump. 10 feet, 9 inches, and the guy ran a 4-4-4 at his pro day. It's absolutely amazing, and we've never seen a tight end like this. Look, we've seen some talented guys come out, like Vernon Davis, you know, went to the 49ers back in the day. And we saw, you know, Kellen Winslow Jr. that was drafted by the Cleveland Browns. He was a really athletic guy. Back in the day, and he had you know four or five really good seasons with the Browns and the Bucks before injuries took its toll. I've never seen a Kyle Pitts before because when he was on the football field during his junior season, no defense was able to stop him. And they tried. They tried to double team him, they tried to triple team him. This guy is is special. He's only 20 years old. Twenty years old, and he's gonna turn 21 in the fall. Imagine the possibilities that you could just do with, with Kyle Pitts. It's just he I think he's an offensive coordinator's dream, as far as I'm concerned.
0: I, I echo that. I mean, I, I see, you know, a guy who's uncoverable, a matchup nightmare. You were saying it earlier. He's an 83-inch wingspan. That's the longest of any tight end and any wide receiver in the last 20 years.
1: Yeah, I always picture like Calvin Johnson when he came on and had that. Scouting combine, with he ran like a high four to three and had the wingspan. We looked at him, and like Megatron was just Megatron. I mean, Kyle Pitts deserves a nickname as well. And this isn't just a a physical freak. He has had a pretty good career with the Gators, a, a really good career with at Florida. His sophomore and his junior year, and this year he was unstoppable, especially in the red zone. Just throw him the ball anywhere. And he'll go and get it with that vert, with those huge hands, with that wingspan, with that arm length. I can line him up in the slot. I can line him up out wide as a wide receiver. I can line him up in the backfield. I can line him up in line. He can gain like another, you know, 10, 15 pounds easily. He's not going to lose that athleticism and speed. The only thing that will you know keep Kyle Pitts from becoming a really good player in the league is injuries, concussions. I, I hope that doesn't happen, but he's the best tight end that I've scouted like in the past 15 years. I know we've seen some guys drafted in the top 10, Eric Ebron, TJ Hawkinson, and they haven't lived up to that billing. I mean they're good players, but they're not great. You know I want to make an exception. I'm gonna, I'm willing to put him in the Hall of Fame. Totally. <laughs> Uh, I'm not going to do that. Right? I'm right. not going to do that.
0: Um, when you talk about a guy who basically ha- has the, you know, largest wingspan in 20 years, he's probably the best tight end you scouted in 15 years. I mean, the logical place to go is like hall of fame track for sure. He's still got to do it. I mean, he's still, he's still got to, you know, make it to the workouts, play the games, you know, he, you still got to see if he can do it. And I, I don't think there's any question that he can do it I think whoever drafts him is going to get a matchup nightmare in the red zone and on third down. So not only is he going to be a player who's going to go to Pro Bowls, he's going to help you win football games. And that's what it's all about. And I think that's
1: what teams need to realize a little bit. I realize that the wisdom is a wide receiver touches the ball a little bit more than a tight end. But look at what the tight ends are doing recently. I mean, if if you have a guy like Zach Ertz or Travis Kelsey or George Kittle, I mean, those guys are matchup problems for most linebackers and most safeties in the league, and and teams can't put a corner on them. And if they put a corner on them, I mean, Kyle Pitts is just gonna is, is gonna dominate that corner with with his size and and his wingspan. I'm, I mean, one thing so, I want to
0: add too is that, I mean, if you're the Atlanta Falcons at four, I mean, this is a reason why I draft him at four. You know Matt Ryan's going to retire in a few years, he's going to play out his career. But you know if I have Kyle Pitts on my offense, a, a quarterback is going to want to join my team. And so if 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 drafting is not the way they want to go and signing a quarterback, that's a way to attract a quarterback is to have him as your tight end. Absolutely. You you make a great case there. Every
1: week we we break down a certain positional group and and this week it's it's about the defensive lineman. So let's start with the defensive tackles, and let, let's start there,
0: Ed. Well, my fr- my number 10 is kind of probably going to be a surprise for you. Um, this is a guy probably a lot of people have top five, top three, number one. But um, I'm just not seeing it on tape. I'm seeing it at the pro day. I'm seeing it with the measurables, but I'm just not seeing it on tape. And that's Christian Barmore, defensive tackle from the Alabama Crimson Tide. He's a redshirt sophomore, young, 6'5", 310 pounds, two years of production, You know, there's some question about his willingness and ability to take direction. Per Super Bowl Nation, I should mention that that's their source. Uh, He's a four-star recruit out of high school. Sometimes a little overmatched in the run game. Needs a quicker first step off the line of scrimmage. Uh, He does move well for an interior defensive lineman. He relies a lot on his athleticism as a pass rusher. He can hold the point of attack in the run game. Consistency in the run game is a problem. I'm just saying there's a lot of defensive tackle talents in this draft. I don't know if I go with Barmore when there's guys who are more proven. He's my number one defensive tackle in this draft, and don't be surprised
1: by that because he's a young guy. I just see the upside. To be honest with you, it's only been one year of production for him as a sophomore, and he came on like in the second half of the year, and I believe that he's a better prospect than Quinton Williams was, another defensive lineman that was drafted by the Jets at number three. I realize he's not going to get drafted in the top five, top ten, But I think Barmore is going to be a steal for a team like in the 20s somewhere or at the end of the first round. I have him a lot higher. I think he's like a top 10 prospect for me. It's all about upside. I'm just betting on it. I think he's the most talented defensive lineman that uh, Nick Saban has had there at Alabama in the last five to seven years. And that's quite a praise because Alabama has had plenty of guys that went in the first round. Yeah, I am surprised that He's your number 10 guy. But I get it. You're you're not seeing it on film. I saw plenty of games where he was a game changer. And uh, I thought he was the best player on the football field, especially on the, when it comes to D-line or offensive
0: line. Number nine, I got Carlo Kemp, defensive tackle from the Michigan Wolverines. Redshirt senior, 6'3", 286 pounds, four years of production. Um, he had a key fumble recovery against Illinois. Uh, four-star recruit out of high school. He's an average pass rusher. Um, but he draws double teams in the pass game. He's mobile enough to execute stunts, can stop the run from the nose when called upon, and has good pad level and technique. Not a 300-pound guy, you know, definitely a defensive tackle. Yeah, he's a good run defender. I like
1: him. He's very active. I'm not sure he gives you quite as much in against the pass, like in rushing the quarterback. But he's a good run defender, and I'm sure he's going
0: to find a home on an NFL team. Number eight, I got Darius Stills, defensive tackle from West Virginia. is a true senior, 6'1", 285 pounds, four years of production, but I'd say like two years of good production, great bloodlines. Uh, his dad played in the NFL for 12 years, first team all Big 12 in 2019, three-star recruit out of high school, draws double teams in the pass game, has good speed as a pass rusher from the interior, holds the point of attack but needs to get off blocks better in the run game. Very good seed to do in the run game. Has the core strength to make the play when he attacks the opponent on his shoulder. And he's got an aggressive punch and can be physical with offensive linemen. It's crazy.
1: This guy played nose tackle at West Virginia. And he's an undersized guy as a three tech. So that tells you something. I mean, the guy was able to get after the quarterback and, and get pressures. And he's quick. He's got very good short area quickness. And he's one of my sleepers. Kind of underrated guys, whatever you want to call him, and I know he's going to go late. He's going to go somewhere like in the sixth round, or maybe he's an undrafted free agent because he's small, like undersized guy. But as a three tech, this guy is going to help in a rotation. If he's not starting, then he's going to be one of the key backups for your defensive line. I'm a big fan of Darius Stills. So yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, number seven, Bobby Brown, the third nose tackle from Texas A&M. Uh, he's 6'4", 325 pounds, junior, three years of production. Decided to enter the draft. Uh, his mother has a brain on this, so I think, you know, getting that NFL paycheck will help his mother out. Um, four-star recruit out of high school. He pushes the pocket as a pass rusher. Uh, sometimes needs to hand fight butter as a pass rusher. Moves well on the screen for a 325-pound guy. Uh, this is a this is just a trend in this draft class. These These defensive interior guys can absolutely move. Like nothing I've ever seen. Uh, He could function well as the nose or defensive tackle. Able to use his power to collapse the pocket in the run game as well.
1: He's a nose tackle to me. Because he can take on double teams. He's a big body. But as a 3-4 nose tackle. yeah, He can take on double teams. And he can disengage from blocks. So uh, there's something to work with there. With this player.
0: Number six, I got Aline McNeil, nose tackle from NC State. He's a junior, 6'2", 320 pounds, three years of production, probably a nose tackle in the NFL. He played the nose in the two gap for the Wolfpack. Uh, very good at getting off blocks and getting into the backfield. Definitely a run stuffer in the middle. Has some strength to push the pocket, but is slow getting off the line of scrimmage and pass. Is a guy who consistently wins matchups under against the center. Size limits his mobility in space, but moves well for a guy weighing 320 pounds. I mean, he's fast for a 320-pound guy. He's definitely a nose tackle.
1: I love McNeil. He's he's my underrated guy. I think I have a number two as far as defensive tackles are concerned, and he would be my number one nose tackle in this draft. He takes on double teams. He's really strong, like very, very strong. And you mentioned that he can shed blocks really quickly. I mean, knows how to use those hands. I think McNeil is just vastly underrated in in the draft scouting community and on Twitter and stuff like that. I, I hope NFL teams are seeing what I'm seeing, and I think he's definitely like a, a round two guy, like an early
0: day two pick. Number five, I got Marlon Tuiputulo. Uh, defensive tackle from USC, redshirt junior, 6'3", 305 pounds, four years of production. You know, didn't produce as much as redshirt year in 2017. Four-star recruit out of high school. He's only 21 years old. First team all, Pac-12 in 2020. Uh, He gets a little outmanned in the run game, but knows how to collapse the pocket as a pass rusher. Average seed to do against the run. Good quickness as a pass rusher for a defensive tackle, and he converts speed to power very well for a defensive tackle.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of these USC defensive linemen. I, I really am not. I'm not seeing it. They they weren't as productive as I would like them to be, especially like, you know, last year. I know they didn't play that many games in the Pac-12, but still, I just, I expected a little bit more. If you go back to 2019 and maybe you see some flashes, but, and this goes for, for this prospect and, and another guy that I'm sure you're going to mention a little bit later. Just not a big fan of these Trojans uh, defensive linemen in this draft.
0: So number four, it is already a little bit later. Jay Tufule, defensive tackle from USC, redshirt junior. Two years of production, 6'3", 305 pounds. Opted out of the 2020 season to prepare for the draft. First team all Pac 12 in 2019. Four-star recruit out of high school. Uh, He has a very strong rib move. Good punch as a pass rusher. Um, Probably not an elite pass rusher. Moves well on stunts. Holds the point of attack very well in the run game. Good at getting off blocks, but could be better at it. You're
1: a much bigger fan than I am. I think he's one of the more overrated uh, defensive tackles in this draft. And I just feel like he would make more of an impact out there. Like, it turned on the film against BYU in 2019. And I'm thinking to myself, look, he's got to dominate. He didn't do anything in that game. As the season progressed in 2019... He got better. I saw flashes of it, but I didn't see it consistently enough. Like, he has the physical tools, but he hasn't put it all together. I'm not buying into him being a
0: a big-time playmaker at the defensive tackle. Number three, I got Tyler Shelvin, no sackle LSU, uh, redshirt junior, 6'3", 346 pounds. Two years of production. He opted out of the 2020 season to prepare for the draft. Four-star recruit out of high school. Uses that big body to hold the point of attack very well. His pad level and technique are very good. Does win his matchups, but probably isn't going to collapse the pocket in the pass game. Surprisingly good lateral movement to stop the run. He does a really good job of getting off blocks late and still making the play in the run game. That is a huge strength for him as a nose tackle. But he's strictly a nose tackle, right? I mean, he's a guy that that's going to take I on mean, double teams out there. I mean, it's hard to play 2-gap at two hundred or 346 pounds.
1: I could see him playing as a like a five technique, right? He could definitely play as a three four defensive end.
0: I I, I mean he's right? he's a good and athlete, he, so he can he can do that. But I mean, if you're gonna, I mean, if you're gonna put him in a role, you're gonna, you know, I'm gonna draft him as a three four team, and you know, I, I'm gonna put him as my nose tackle when I got three down linemen. The one thing that really stands out, I mean, he's 340
1: plus pounds, but the one thing that really stands out is his motor. I mean, his motor is always running high. He's always chasing plays from behind in pursuit. And that's something that really stood out to me because that's what I want to see. I want to see that a guy going full speed, and not only in the first quarter, can he do it in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter, when when people are getting tired as the game wears on. Shelvin does that. He has good conditioning for a guy that, that is that big. Yeah, Shelvin is is one of those dudes that is that is underrated in this draft as well
0: number two i got levi on defensive tackle from the washington huskies he's a senior 6'3 288 pounds three years of production opted out of the 2020 season he's first team all pack 12 in 2019 four-star recruit out of high school uses his explosion out of the three-point stance to basically you know be his advantage. And it is elite explosion. He draws double teams as a pass rusher, has a relentless motor. His power is pretty average for a pass rusher, but he does hold the point of attack on the run game.
1: Yeah, he's a very good run defender. And the fact is, I mean, he played nose tackle at Washington. Nose tackle. And he's not the biggest dude. This isn't like Shelvin. I mean, he's like 280, 285 pounds. He's not a 320 pound guy. So, can you imagine what he can do in a As a 3-tech, in a 4-3 scheme? I mean, with his ability, with his quick first step, with that explosion, what he could do. Imagine the possibilities. The only thing is, he really struggled at the Senior Bowl, from what I saw, in the 1-on-1s. He was being dominated there. I hope he can recover. Some guys I like struggled at the Senior Bowl. It's something to take notice on, because... We were talking about this guy possibly being a first-round pick. He still could go there, like, late first. Again, you you want to see him be more consistent against elite competition, and I, I didn't see that in immobile. Do,
0: do you think part of it is that he's a little rusty from taking the 2020
1: season off? To be honest with you, you can be rusty, like, on day one or day two, but then you would come on on day three, but that didn't happen. I'm not saying you have to dominate the entire week, but at least show up somewhere on Thursday or maybe during the game. Yeah, maybe he's got some rust, but you should be training. should be getting ready for the draft. I mean, look at all these guys that opted out and uh, did well at the Pro Day. Well, he showed up at the Senior Bowl, so maybe he was dealing with some injury. And I couldn't understand it. I, I wasn't seeing the same player that, that I saw in film.
0: So number one, um, I think it's a trend now that every year there's a defensive tackle that I have a draft crush on. And uh, this is my draft crush. His name's Davion Nixon, defensive tackle from Iowa. Junior, 6'3", 305 pounds, two years of production, first team All-American in 2020. Has the core strength on the bull rush, and boy does he have the core strength. Uh, he has a quick first step for a 300-pound guy. He's elite at holding the point of attack and getting off blocks. Has excellent explosion and acceleration for a guy his size. Understands the leverage game well when taking on blockers in the run game. I would say I wouldn't put him at Ed Oliver's level, even though Ed Oliver didn't do as well in the NFL. But yeah, I do think he'll be better than Ed Oliver in the NFL. He got
1: off to a really good start when he came to the season. I mean, he was putting up some huge numbers, and then he kind of slowed down towards the second half of the year.
0: You know, I'm going to build a robot off of Davion Nixon to play defensive tackle. Cause he is the prototypical defensive tackle in the NFL.
1: Not quite as high on Nixon, but hey, I've got Barmore at number one and you have him at ten. I'm not saying I have Nixon at ten. I think he's my like number two or number three guy. All right. I'm I'm glad you you got excited about somebody. And I, I know you're a, a huge fan of this defensive tackle class. In my opinion, it's an average group. Like I see some dudes I like. I, I like some guys. I'm not quite as high on them as you are. I mean,
0: I I would say, like, I mean, I I, I said, you know, the Cleveland Browns are so set up. They can get a guy on day two. Um, You know, I think, I think I mean, especially if you want to get a second-round defensive tackle, I think there's going to be plenty of options, I think, on third round, fourth round. There's going to be plenty of options for good defensive tackles.
1: Fair enough. Let's go to the defensive ends. And some of these guys might be three, four outside linebackers for for some folks. You know, I want to... Ed to put his list together and uh what he thought and he will obviously have them as four three defensive ends or or five technique, three four defensive ends. So we'll we'll put those two groups together. Let's start at 10, 10 I got
0: Malik Herring, defensive end, uh he's a five tech uh Georgia Bulldogs, uh true senior, six three, two hundred and eighty pounds, four years of production. Uh one of the reasons he's so down on my list is he tore his ACL at the senior bowl. Four-star recruit out of high school. Has great power to get to the quarterback as a pass rusher. Definitely more of a fit as a 3-4 defensive end. Needs to get off blocks better in the run game, but he's a good hand fighter as a pass rusher. Has heavy hands and a good punch which makes him hard to block.
1: Yeah, it's a tough blow when you uh, suffer a major injury at, at one of these all-star games, and then you're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. But hey, somebody might get a steal late on day three, or maybe these, this guy goes undrafted as a result and we'll see i mean if he makes a a full recovery you could get a really good five
0: technique number nine i got osa odig huzawa three uh, four defensive end from ucla is a senior six 279 pounds four years of production Older brother, O.D., plays in the NFL. First team all pack 12 in 2020. Holds the point of attack well in the run game. Wins his matchups for the interior. I like the strength he shows getting off blocks. Best fit as a 3-4 defensive end in the NFL. Core strength is as a pass rusher. Has the has the bull rush to play the 5-tech.
1: I don't know. I think he's too small for a for defensive end, in my opinion. I think he needs to be as like a 3-tech for a 4-3 team. I was burned by his brother, and I think the last name is pronounced Adigizua. Zuwa, okay. But um, I was burned by his brother uh, a couple of years back. I was just really high on him. He was athletic. And they come from the same family. I mean, they're really athletic. And Osa has got a really quick first step. Yeah, that's why I'm down on Zuwa. I'm not sure the younger brother is is going to be any different.
0: So number eight, I got Chauncey Golston, another 3-4 defensive end from Iowa. He's 6'5", 270 pounds. Is uh, a redshirt senior. Three years of good production. Pretty consistently a three-sack guy since his sophomore year. I think he had three and a half maybe his sophomore year. Uh, third team All-Big 12 in 2019. Three-star recruit out of high school. He uses his size to his advantage as a pass rusher. I really like his rip move. He has heavy hands, so he can shed blocks in the run game. I'd like him to be quicker to the edge as a pass rusher. Um, he played 4 3 defensive end in Iowa, but probably better suited for a 3 4 system in the NFL. I'll go on to number seven. Uh, Janarius Robinson, uh, defensive end from Florida State. Redshirt senior, is 6'5, 260 pounds. Uh, four years of production, four star recruit out of high school. Good player on a bad team. Very good at getting off blocks and getting into the backfield in the run game. Wins his matchups in the run game. Uh, he's a 4-3 defensive end in this draft, I think. Uh, holds the point of attack well. Has a decent explosion from a three-point stance as an edge rusher.
1: He's explosive. Do You always try to identify that one guy that you think could have a better NFL career than what he showed in college. I, I just get the feeling that it's, yeah, it's Janarius Robinson is one of those guys in this draft. Like, this guy isn't going to get drafted at first, even day two. But it's like late third early fourth round pick because of his explosive ability because of his athleticism and speed and because he can fit in a number of schemes in my opinion and uh, i think he can actually play as a three four outside linebacker as well because he's he's got that bend around the edge identify this player because I think this guy's going to be a much better pro than he was uh, during his college days
0: with the seminoles so number six, I got Cameron Sample, 3-4 defensive end uh, from Tulaney. 3, 280 pounds, true senior, four years of production, is a senior bowl invitee, two-star recruit out of high school, excellent push coming from the edge, shows elite core strength, good nose for the ball in the run game, uses his power to beat the blockers to the edge. I like his run defense, best feed is a 3-4 defensive end.
1: I like Patrick Johnson better. Um, obviously, he's more of a Leo He's a 3-4 outside linebacker. They played at Tulane together. I like Patrick Johnson better than Cameron Sample, and I was actually surprised that Patrick Johnson wasn't invited to the Senior Bowl like Sample.
0: Number five, I got Joe Tryon, uh, defensive end, 4-3 for the Washington Huskies. He's a redshirt junior, 6'5", 262 pounds, two years of production, um, didn't play in 2020 because of the pandemic. Second team all pac 12 in 2019. He drew double teams in the pass game. Excellent strength to get off blocks and hold the point of attack in the run game. Good footwork as a pass rusher, but needs to work on his upper body strength. I like his hand fighting as a pass rusher. Very good at tackling and space for a defensive end.
1: It's interesting. He played as a five technique. He played in a 3 4 defense as a DN. He projects as a 4 3 DN for you. I have him as a 3 4 outside linebacker. Just because he's about 6 4 and a half, like 250 pounds. He's got a quick step. He has some some tools. I just I always wondered like why didn't he produce more at Washington? And you would expect him to make more splash plays, and he didn't. So this is strictly a projection. I mean, you're hoping that that Tryon becomes a better player in the NFL. But again, to be fair, he played five technique at Washington, being 250 pounds.
0: So number four, I got Carlos Basham Jr. Uh, 3-4 defensive end, in my opinion, from Wake Forest. He's a redshirt senior, 6'5", 285 pounds, four years of production, senior bowl participant, first team all ACC in 2019, three-star recruit out of high school. I think he has good power as a pass rusher. He's willing to be aggressive and go after double teams in the pass game. Gets regular pressure as a pass rusher, more athletic, but does have some power too. Needs a quicker first step.
1: This guy always makes plays. Like, he always makes plays behind the line of scrimmage. There's one thing that really bothers me. He's strong, but he gets pushed so much off the line of scrimmage by some offensive linemen that I don't think are even going to get a sniff at the NFL. And the reason why he does that is because he plays too high. Like, his pad level is too high. And he's got to control that. He measured in at like 6'3 and a half, like 280 pounds at at the Senior Bowl. He's not like the biggest guy. He's not 6'6 or 6'7. He should be able to play low, but he doesn't. He plays high, and that bothers me. I mean, he just gets pushed off the line of scrimmage. Uh, A lot of people (laughs) believe that he doesn't have the strength, but he does. Basham is kind of a tweener. I I don't know where you play him. I kind of agree with you that you play him as a five technique, but he also could fit as a three tech for a four three team. And, Actually, he had more success there when he lined up as as an interior defensive lineman. So, Basham gives you that versatility to play, you know, in multiple schemes and and multiple positions.
0: So, number three, and this is kind of a tier of you know, good, you know, first or second round defensive ends. Quiddy Pay, uh, defensive end, Michigan Wolverines, senior, six four, two hundred and seventy two pounds, four years of production. Showed improvement throughout his career. Three-star recruit out of high school. Great twitchy athlete getting off blocks. Speed rusher around the edge who was often too quick for his counterparts. Sometimes a little undersized getting off blocks in the run game. Gets consistent pressure from the edge with his quickness and speed. Is excellent moving laterally in the run game. I think his size is probably the reason why I have him number three. He could fit
1: as a 3-4 outside linebacker as well because he's freaky. He's an athlete. You know, he's he's got speed, he's got quickness. So teams, they're gonna look at him as a three-four outside linebacker. Ed and I have him as a four-three defensive end. It's probably something I have against Michigan defensive linemen, but I think he's one of the more overrated players in this draft. You just you would expect him to be more productive, and he just wasn't. And if you turn on the Minnesota game yeah, he's you, you can give him a gold jacket. You can put him in the Hall of Fame. He didn't do anything for three quarters, but in the fourth quarter, he was just all over the quarterback. Pressures, sacks, tackles for loss. I mean, he made himself a lot of money in that Minnesota game, or sorry, in the last 10 minutes of the game. There are other games that I'm just watching, I don't see him on film. He's nowhere to be found. He's not making plays, and Sorry, a defensive lineman has to be able to wreak havoc somewhere. Quiddy Paye is one of the more overrated players in this draft. And I realize he's going to go high, Ed. I realize that. And that's probably my biggest problem with that. If we're talking about a guy that's going to be like the number one edge player for teams, he's going to be like a top 10, top 15 guy. I don't see it. And again, it's kind of like the Rashawn Gary syndrome. I just don't like the Michigan defensive lineman. (laughs) That's all. If you've got the M on your helmet, if you're from Michigan, you're a defensive lineman, there's no mm-hmm. way I can like you.
0: Um, number two, I got Gregory Rousseau, uh, defensive end from Miami. Yes, he is my number two. Redshirt sophomore, 6'7", 253 pounds. You know, two years of production, not much production in 2018. Set out of 2020. Had 15 and a half sacks in 2019. Uh, first team all ACC in 2019. Three-star recruit out of high school. Probably what everyone likes about him is he converts speed to power very well as a pass rusher. Good technique as a pass rusher. Gets off blocks decently well in the run game. He's an average run stopper. You know, he has a good get-off, good first step in the at the line of scrimmage. Likes to speed rush around the arc. Kind of a pure speed rusher.
1: Like, I turned on the film. Again, I went over like a second time over my notes. And I noticed that he was able to get pressure when he's he was lined up as a defensive tackle. His sack numbers are a bit inflated. He's going up against the guards. He's lining up there as like a 265-pound defensive end inside, and he's beating those guys. There was one game that I saw him get like three sacks, I believe, when he was lined up as a defensive tackle. He doesn't have a quick first step, lack of pass rush moves, not an explosive edge rusher. He's more of a power guy, like you mentioned. If he could put on another like 5, 10 pounds... He's going to be like 275, 280. He's going to be able to hold his point of attack better, be that run defender, and get some sacks out there. He's never going to be a big sack guy because he's just not a twitchy type of athlete. I still have Rousseau as my number one guy, but it's all about the upside. I'm betting on him to come to the NFL, gain, you know, 510 pounds, and, you know, become this power defensive end. Not a big sack guy, not not like Quiddy Pay. I, I read his scouting report, my scouting report on him, and it's really negative. But I still have him as a number one guy because just betting on that one year and hoping that since he's such a young guy, you could still become a better player in the pros.
0: So my number one defensive end might surprise you a little bit, but it's it's another guy from Miami, Jalen Phillips. Redshirt junior, 6'5", 266 pounds, three years of production, transfer from UCLA who sat out of 2019. He's a five-star recruit out of high school, rushes standing up, converts speed to power well as a pass rusher, has sneaky good quickness off the line of scrimmage. I like his persistence to make the tackle in the black field, and that's in the run game. His explosion coming out of the three-point stance is elite.
1: I think he's a 3-4 outside linebacker. Uh, be- just because of that, I think he's an explosive guy. At his pro day, he ran a four five six. I understand why you put him a defensive end. He I means what, 6'5", 250 pounds with the chance to get bigger. well, I mean you put he puts well, on good weight. Three, I mean four. he's
0: he's gonna be a physical freak.
1: Well, he was a number one recruit coming out of high school, like you mentioned. He went to UCLA, but the injuries, Ed, his injuries are numerous. He's had concussion problems, he's had other injuries. He actually retired from football from UCLA and then he came back to Miami for that one year and he just blew up so I think the injury concerns just knock him down for me I would have had him in my top three as a 3-4 outside linebacker but I think I have him at like five or six and I realize he has that talent but the injuries I'm sure they're not going to check out he has some serious concerns but I'm glad he was able to get back on the football field and get himself to this point. And if he checks out physically okay, I certainly could see him being drafted in the first round because he has that talent to, to do that. Whether he's going to play defensive end or 3-4 outside linebacker, he's going to appeal to many different teams. So yeah, I, I realized the athleticism, the speed. There's a reason why he was a, why he was a number one recruit. Coming out of high school, you know there was one name missing, and I kind of expected it somewhere really high. I didn't say anything when the defensive tackles went by, and then I thought maybe you would have him as a five technique. It's Marvin Wilson. I mean, your boy. You you've defended him. I mean, you've put him. We had a mock draft. You had him as a top ten prospect not that long ago. And he's completely missing from your list. Yeah,
0: I, I, I've i kind of cooled on Marvin Wilson. Um, he looked awesome at the beginning of, of 2020, but he, he really cooled off.
1: All right. I mean, you had the chance, obviously, to break down some other defensive tackles, and they got you more excited than Marvin Wilson. Where do you see Marvin Wilson playing? I see, at this point, he's like a day three pick, but as a day three pick, you could get a steal somewhere in the fourth, fifth round. I see him as a five technique. I actually think that he would be a good 3-4 defensive end.
0: Yeah, I like him as like a fourth round pick. I, gosh, you know, to be honest with you, I think I like him more as a defensive tackle. I think I like him more playing on the inside consistently. All right, there's
1: another name missing. A lot of people, a lot of people have been pushing this guy into the first round. I don't see it. I'm not touching him there. I have doubts whether he deserves to be on day two, but he will be drafted somewhere early on day two. And that's the Penn State defensive end, Jason Away.
0: Yeah, I mean, workout warrior, but I don't see it on tape.
1: I agree with that. Like, I, I started debating who would be my most overrated defensive lineman, Jason Away or Quiddy Pay. Once we come to that show and we reveal our most overrated players i'll come up with it at this point i think both guys are overrated let's talk about underrated overrated prospects
0: sleepers at, at defense um run. probably my underrated jalen phillips davion nixon and darius stills
1: all right how about overrated
0: uh i'm gonna put christian barmore jalen twyman and i'll even put your guy away uh, as my number three Give me a sleeper or two. um, Great football name and great bloodlines. Lorenzo Neal, defensive tackle from Purdue. He's a redshirt senior, 6'3", 325 pounds. Actually, I should say he's a nose tackle. Uh, Son of fullback Lorenzo Neal, who, um, you know, if you've been watching football too long, then you definitely know who this is. Four years of production, three-star recruit out of high school. Powerful nose tackle. Average at getting off blocks. Slides pretty well in the run game. Has decent athleticism as a pass rusher. Can help with tackling in the run game and is a decent run stuffer.
1: I mean, his daddy was was one of the best fullbacks to ever play the game. And he always made it to the Pro Bowl when fullbacks were important. Now they aren't anymore. But it was basically him and Mike Allstott who played for the Tampa Bay Bucs. So, uh, yeah, let's keep that lineage going. I mean, I'm I'm all about that. I, I hope this kid makes it. Obviously, that puts a wrap on the defensive line as a whole. Uh, We gave you plenty of prospects to look at. Next week, it's about quarterbacks. We saved the the best for last, and uh, yeah, we're going to put the signal callers in this draft under the scope. Thank you for listening to another episode of BlitzCast. Ed did a great job, as always. Uh, Looking forward to his list of quarterbacks next week. Take care, everyone.